0: What's going on everybody? This is George Gleife and it's episode 24 of Let's Grab Coffee. I'm here with Lily C., who's the CEO and founder of Think Dirty App. This is a very cool platform that if you haven't downloaded, you should download right now. Uh, It's for ingredient-conscious shoppers who are looking for natural beauty brands. And the platform makes it super easy, super simple to find out from labels, from the product ingredients, which ones are natural and which ones have certain things that you should be watching out for. So, Lily, thank you very much for doing this. My pleasure. So tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us how you got started. What, what's the story behind Lutzi?
1: Sure. Um, so um, I started Think Dirty probably thinking now is six years ago. Um, so the reason why I started mainly is like a lot of founder, you're scratching your own itch. Um, as a woman, I find, you know, we shop so many beauty, personal care products. Very few times, we actually take the time, look at the back, what the chemicals are. Yeah. And even though you want to, it's uh, really hard, right? Because the the words are long, it's difficult to spell. And then uh, you can Google one word by each, but it takes a lot of time. So back then, uh, we we're talking about iPhone 4 era. Okay. Uh, there aren't too many <laughs> tools uh, existing. So that's what I was thinking. Like, what if we have a mobile app quickly can scan barcode, Learn about ingredients, in a really simple way. So, um, so that's kind of how it started. But um, also go back deeper why I care about this aspect so much, uh, which I told the story a lot because mm-hmm. uh, my mom had uh, cancer when I was really young, and I. Discover that um, a lot of environmental risk factors, especially related to the beauty and personal care product space, are not being talked about. Uh, People usually focus on the cure or food and nutrition exercise. So that's something I find interesting. Um, That's why I should want to focus on.
0: Okay, very cool. And so say I'm a shopper, right? Mm. I'm going to Rexall or Shoppers Drug Mart. Scan the bar. So I pick up any product. Is there a limitation on on which products?
1: uh, No, I mean, anything you put on your body, um, not things that you eat. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, shampoo, deodorant, face cream, you know, lotion, anything that you use, you can find the barcode, scan it, or search by keywords, and we just updated the app, and now we have categories at the top. You just tap on each most popular category, and you can easily see the list of products show up. Yeah.
0: That's very cool. And so where do you, like, what, where does your sort of database feed from?
1: Um, so when we first started, we actually kind of manually collected the product data okay. because ingredients list at that time wasn't widely available on even on the website, believe it or not. Wow. But now um, it's easier also because users submitted information to us. So ingredient lists, uh, we usually neither um, collect it from company website or user submission.
0: Okay. Starting out, with, were there any ingredients when you're kind of looking at them in the beginning that really shocked you when you sort of did that that research or that digging in? Like were you like, oh, you look at a shampoo and you're like, this is this is in here, but it's also in here?
1: Mm, yeah, like, I mean, usually it's about the marketing claim on the front not matching what actually is showing the label. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes brands like to use one key natural ingredient as a selling point might even use the beautiful image of that natural fruit or plant, sure. but when you flip the label that ingredients is somewhere really low on the list which means it got the lowest percentage on the product mm-hmm. so they usually use tiny percentage and just use it to really exaggerate how natural and clean it is so that's what made our tool interesting in the way that we don't care what the brand front said, like the natural claim. We completely ignore that. We really just rate the ingredients uh, by themselves.
0: Did you get? A, uh, did you ever get any flack from from those consumer products coming back to you and saying, "Hey, like,
1: mm. you know"? Well, I mean, they can they can disagree. <clears throat> they can disagree on some of the scientific study behind it and whatnot. But the way we approach it, if that particular substance is present mm-hmm. and that. Would have that rating. The only way to don't have that rating would be that substance doesn't appear on the product. So they can improve the rating by simply remove the ingredients, right? So it's very factual. Does mm-hmm. not allow subjectiveness. Yeah. Uh, you might have disagreement on how you interpret certain studies, but you cannot argue the rating overall in a way that if certain chemical present mm-hmm. and that rating is determined based on whether that chemical exists in the product.
0: So. At this point, like, uh, <clears throat> I just want to go back a bit. And, and you, mm-hmm. you were saying the tipping point was, you know, when your mom had cancer, you kind of started thinking really in depth about mm-hmm, this right mm-hmm. at a younger age, I guess. So yeah. it kind of started early for you. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so what, but what, when was that, like, real tipping point when when you said, you know what, I know this is a pain point, not just for myself, but I've had mm-hmm. you know, personal uh, scenarios as well. I'm really going to make that jump now.
1: Yeah. So that thought, like you said, yeah, I simmer when I was a child um in my as I grow up you know what I discover because I actually come from advertising right so I worked in advertising for over 10, 10 years um as an art director and I work with tons of brands and I just find even as someone in marketing I'm so mark so savvy as a consumer I still got trick right so a few times I feel like well you know I thought I know this brand you know, then I, when I work on a marketing brief and whatnot, then I'm like, wow, it's actually completely, oh.
0: <laughs> the ingredient
1: doesn't match what they are actually selling. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these tiny little epiphany moments. And um, at that time, also after 10 plus year in advertising, um, I was just generally ready to explore what the other alternative path for myself. You know, um, I work in so many different brands. Um, many different industry and I felt I plateaued um, in terms of you know just you know learning like personal growth all the aspect and also just generally curious to to kind of how to align my personal value to the things I do you know Mm -hmm. some of the brands that I uh, promote during daytime I personally would never buy them for example so that's an interesting disconnect always happening between work and personal life.
0: There wasn't really that, that deep belief in, in, in what you're selling, really.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. So like during 9 to 5, you're constantly promoting company. You generally would not personal buy, yeah. consume them. So it just always feel... uh, It's just this really weird dynamic that I don't know how to reconcile. So I just... Hmm. Just a thought, like, what if I could do something that aligned with my personal belief?
0: And that you would consume.
1: And I would consume. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, if I need to s- promote this company, I, I at least would agree on their ingredient list and that kind of thing. So that's mm-hmm. kind of lead me to this path. I just find technology is very good at solving problems efficiently. And um, how can I use it to solve a problem that I personally care and also can apply my creative talents wow. and my just general curiosity of how you know everything every product being rated in the marketplace at the same time. So all those things intersect. That kind of this up. is kind of the product of combining all those elements that I'm interested in.
0: Yeah, I think well, I think that's a great lesson for a lot of people watching too. Because I find like even a lot of my friends and, and I'm not I'm not a technical founder, right? Mm-hmm. I, uh, when I was kind of thinking about starting an app as well. Mm-hmm. The first thought that came to my mind is, well, I, I need technical co founder mm-hmm. right? Like, who's mm-hmm, actually mm-hmm. develop this app? Otherwise, mm-hmm. you outsource and you pay for it. Mm-hmm. So you were more on the creative side as well. Yep. I think mm-hmm. that's the first thing. The second yep. thing, I, I love the lesson which you're talking about, is, like, create something you would actually consume mm-hmm. and you would believe in when you're selling. Mm-hmm. And then three, focus on something you, you maybe care about or are mm-hmm. passionate about. So when, when you had those three elements in line, right, mm-hmm. then you were thinking about creating the product. Mm-hmm. Did you... First, think about, you know, I have a friend who's a developer. Let me go to him mm-hmm. her, or her. Or did you think, let me outsource this technology elsewhere and build it?
1: Yeah, I tried going down many paths. Um, <clears throat> so path number one is just the most conventional wisdom at that time that, like, you need a co-founder, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to found a co-founder. So I talked to many people. I got introduced to one girl. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so she's technical uh we're gonna do a trial for a few months at the end of it when we talk about the agreement um that's the time where we have some disagreement and this is a hard lesson for everybody to learn don't let that person have your password before you talk about agreement so that actually that's how i uh we had a thought out right like so she changed my login basically uh around 30 percent of the work we completed so because of that lesson i'm like you know what Lily, let's just, you know, try different things. You know, what about you own everything? The IP just hire that person to do it. So Mm -hmm. that's why I did it Uh, because I had that unpleasant experience having a co-founder walk away with partially the work. So that's Mm why I I pivot to another approach. So, I mean, unless you have something, someone super trusted, um, I suggest you really you know think about like day one having that you know almost like marriage type commitment is not ideal like what most people say hey let's find a co-founder really is like having a life partner
0: yeah.
1: uh you know found a co-founder co-fo- without knowing that person really well like going to you know i don't know marriage blind marriage or something like yeah.
0: that yeah and you have to be really comfortable and i definitely agree i mean two of my co-founders i mean What's cool about them is one, their brothers. I've known them for a really long yep. time, yeah. And to your point, it's like it's not like you know, three dates and we're done, but like you mm-hmm. can actually see that you know, if you want to build something, it might not be this particular company, but mm-hmm. we're the like we're just in the long game. The mm-hmm. mindset is the long game, mm-hmm. right? Whichever company kind of we create, mm-hmm. we, uh, we kind of figure early that they have skill sets, I have skill sets, and if you sort of merge them, something good will eventually happen,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. So to your
0: point, right? And yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, I think like. Because that early days, I have the unpleasant experience. I have to pivot. So, the, the more of the story, if you really believe the product, you'll find a way to make it work. So, some mm-hmm. people like yourself, you're fortunate you have co-founders. So, leverage that if you trust them. That's perfect. Um, if you don't have that, you can still make it happen. You just have to find the ways.
0: Yeah, which is also a good, uh, good kind of lesson in the moral you're saying because mm-hmm. it is true. in entrepreneurship, everybody will tell you, like, yes, it's a, it's kind of a lonely road, but typically, you know, you you'll see a lot of co-founders, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's title is always like yep. kind of co-founder. Very rarely do you find someone who's just the founder of, of the platform. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so early on when you were doing all this, right? Yep. Was the company sort of bootstrapped early or, and for those listening who don't know what mm-hmm. bootstrapped is, it's kind of just building a company without raising any money for it or any mm-hmm. support, financial support.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Um, so when I first started, I entered a competition. I win a price money of $5,000. So
0: that's how I started with $5,000. With 5K? Yeah. Love it. Yeah. How good did it feel when you one that competition? When
1: it? I feel when I win a competition, I thought I win a million bucks. Because I have I was very naive. <laughs> I don't know how much everything costs. I thought that five thousand dollars is a lot of money. And so that's how it goes. So <laughs> if I could do it with five thousand, I'm sure many of you have way more means than that. So yeah.
0: It was five K and then, so, so how did you really stick, stick with it? I mean, did, or when oh, did you start first, monetizing? Like-
1: yeah, for a first while, I freelance on the side, okay. right? So that's how I pay my own expenses. So, uh, you know, you can say it's bootstrap or anything like that. So all my freelance income funnel that's weird, that's- to the product and you live very cheaply. You can go out a lot. I haven't took vacation for first four years. Uh, first vacation I took, it was 2017 on my birthday
0: wow. since
1: I started app. So, um, <laughs> that's kind of how I did it it's not ideal but maybe other people have better way to do it um, so along the way you know like most founders enter a lot of competition right just little money you get and then we have one angel investment and that's kind of it
0: how did you go about the, the angel investment because for a lot of people watching that's kind of always the I guess the first or second yeah. step to raising right. The first is maybe with your family and friends, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. with your own capital, with your savings. Yeah. The second is angel angel yep. investing, mm-hmm. and for, again, angel investing is probably like a high net worth individual or maybe mm-hmm. a group of high net worth uh, individuals who
1: mm-hmm.
0: maybe want to invest small amounts in in, in a company twenty five thousand, fifty, hundred, five hundred,
1: that kind of range. Mm-hmm. Uh. Well, how you go about it, you basically just pitch a lot. You know, you go to most networking events some are more exclusive some are more generic just get as many contacts that you can and mm-hmm. then just you know find someone that really believe in you and believe in your product you know and you just <laughs> do a lot of pitching of like you look for your first job you know how many resumes you send you know 200 how many you get called back 10 Three interview one Not offer close. exactly the same process
0: very cool. And for you, like how important were those small wins? I remember you just saying that, like the competitions where you, for you were small wins. Mm-hmm. I remember an entrepreneur telling me the same thing. He's like, mm-hmm. George look in the beginning, huh? mm-hmm. And Reid Hoffman talks about this. I say it all the time. It's like the valley of the shadow, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the first year or two, you go through this mm-hmm. peak where you're like, I don't know if I should keep doing this. Like, mm-hmm. is this a good idea?
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Did you experience that? Of what course. did you feel? Uh,
1: well, of course, early days, everybody does. How do I feel? Um, so for me, because I'm not a young founder, mm-hmm. right? I work over 10 years for someone, right? And I build up enough resentment and frustration for that to never want to go back. So mm-hmm. that will drive me, you know, like this is hard, but I don't want to work for people. So what's my alternative? This is it, you know, like I think versus a lot of younger founder, just fresh out of school, like this is just... A path of ritual that they go through oh, worse, i can get another job i'm like i got a job for 10 years and i do not enjoy it i don't want to go back mm. so that is my motivation i don't know how other people's motivation is and um early days i just so passionate about a cost that i don't have any distraction you know like for most people they would don't enjoy the work-life balance i mean I don't enjoy it but I was so focused on my my Love own thing game. I don't feel anything I don't feel I miss anything you know like I think um for example a lot of people weekend like, I miss the party and all that stuff for me but it just it's such a it's such a privilege to able to work on your own thing and yeah. that's what I felt so I don't there are moments of doubt early days but you know I at those moments, I that's the only thing I wanna work on. I don't want to do anything else. Yeah.
0: That's a good point. Which yeah. is why, like, I mean, when, when people say follow your passion, it's not like a fluffy thing. Mm-hmm. The reason people will tell you that is because mm-hmm. when moments like this happen, mm-hmm. if you hate what you're doing mm-hmm. and challenging moments will come, mm-hmm. the first thing you think about doing is leave yeah. or quitting. But if you really love something, those challenging moments will be difficult, obviously. It's yeah. not always gonna be like yeah. you know, sunshine and rainbows, but mm-hmm. but if you love it enough, you're like what's the opportunity cost? Like, I love this more to stay with it than, than to kind of leave it, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think at that moment, also, like, yeah, I, I at that, uh, those are the time where, because there's something in my mind for long. I wanted to do, like, mm-hmm. I just, there's no other alternative not doing it, because this idea, when I first had the idea, was 2010, you know, so from, in my head, to make it happen was actually two, three years, Yeah. so, there's no other way i don't want to make it happen because it'll live in my head for too long
0: okay so so when did you actually launch the app 2013
1: 2013
0: since then how many users
1: uh we have over 1.5 million registered
0: that's crazy when, when was that like i mean just just even on that i mean that that's a pretty cool cool number to get especially in the app world like anybody listening it's really hard to get um what was that moment of like success for you i mean when you kind of look at the app and you're like it might have been the number of users might have been the impact whatever but like
1: mm-hmm. well i haven't felt it yet to be honest. <laughs> i don't think we're successful <laughs> yeah. yet yeah. um you know like to me like success means literally everyone have it on their phone i don't think everyone have it on their phone yet so um i don't feel a moment of success yet unfortunately Kay. i think we still have a long way to go um I'll let you I'll come back to it, let you know when I feel that moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll yeah. have another episode of your Yeah, yeah. Is... I
1: haven't felt that we're at SSS yet.
0: Yeah. And w- was building that traction with users I mean easy early on, or, or did that 1.5 million take like a really long time to kind of
1: um, you know, like it never is never easy. Um, but we do see there's a few interesting media mansion moment that give us like a really good spike. Like early on, one BuzzFeed mansion. Like it's like a like record number Spark. daily, right? Spark. Actually, just two days ago, someone told me that yeah. we're trending in the app store, and I noticed there's again like a spike. This time, I couldn't track the press mention, but um, previous time was also um, trying to figure out. Like Oprah ma- magazine mentioned us before, and oh. then also New York Times. So a few
0: so it's media kind of media hits.
1: mention, yeah, like it would give us really good hit.
0: And, and was it you proactively going to the media outlets? No,
1: or? like these are completely organic. Wow. I actually don't have money to pitch any media since we first launched. Um, and based on my understanding, even you pitch New York Times, you don't get to New York Times. So it's really completely organic, yeah. So these, I actually don't know how they found out about So it's us. probably an editor or a
0: journalist who loves the app or heard about it Could from be, else. could
1: be. I, I honestly still try to track it down. Like the Oprah Magazine, I'm trying to track really? down the editor as well as... Uh, New York Times, it was actually Ruby Worlds mentioned about us.
0: Really? Yeah, which is wow.
1: amazing. Yeah.
0: Geez, that's crazy. I
1: know, it's amazing.
0: And so, for you being, you know, obviously the founder in Toronto, I want to talk to the entrepreneurs here in Toronto, especially or in Ottawa, whatever, in Canada. A lot of people think that their geography is always a demise, right? Mm-hmm. Especially Canada versus US, mm-hmm. or specifically Toronto Waterloo versus Silicon, right? Mm-hmm. Did you ever have that hinge that, like, I can't be successful in Toronto or I have to go to Silicon Valley. No,
1: I never feel that way. I think <clears throat> with technology, there's no boundary. Like if you release an app or software website, like any country, people can download it, use yeah. it, right? Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I'm naive or early days. I think if you have a product and can be successful anywhere and, you know, you could make Toronto be the place famous because they know about you Mm. rather the other way around. And if you really look at Silicon Valley, the cost is so high. It's not startup friendly. Personally, I don't think any startup to start in Silicon Valley, like your money going to go so not far, right? Right. It's not a smart way to start your company. Right. So Toronto also, you know, we have such a great tech talent that are, you know, like underutilized. The government have so much incentive, Um, like for us even I'm in Toronto I was like headquartered here but you know I have 70% US user right and you know most of my you know beauty box or anything we actually charge in US dollars Mm -hmm. right so to me it's the best of both worlds I have startup costs canadian dollar i bill in us dollar why would i do it the other way around it doesn't make sense right so that's my way of thinking but some people might think that well you know what like you have to be there you know they have, might have certain reason to do that but you know i'm in toronto i still got mentioned by the New York times and oprah why do i need to be in silicon valley mm-hmm. and if anything, people actually sometimes thought we're a U.S. company because the press mentioned usually U.S. I actually think it's an amazing compliment when they find out, oh, you're actually in Toronto, you know? So personally, uh, I think, you know, if you have something cool, you can make the city famous, right? No. You know, for example, think of a MailChimp. Yeah. Where's MailChimp base? Do you care? No, you use it anyways. In Georgia, who cares? Nobody does, <laughs> right? Where's surfing monkey base? Nobody cares. That's my belief. That's right? very true, actually. No one cares. Like, your fa- your your very software true. tool is useful anywhere in the world people are using it. Like, we got beauty box order from people from Iceland, wow. Puerto Rico, <laughs> UK. Like, they don't care I'm based in Toronto or not. Right. They just care if your thing is delivering value. Yeah. And I picked Toronto just because I think the city has so much potential. It's underrated. It's like, the analogy I use is like, everyone thinks, you know, New York is so hot, LA is so hot, Silicon Valley is so hot. It's like all those jockey guy in high school. They, yeah. Like they are the cool kid. Right. Toronto is super underrated. It's true. Like it's up and coming. No one knows yet. Then why won't you stay here? It's gonna be big and just yeah. stay here and then you'll be that person first to discover this cool thing. Because you're right
0: the wave, right? And, and I think that that's what's cool about it.
1: You know, like look at the waterfront city project by Google. Who's doing something like that? No one. It's you know, I just like I' There's so much interesting thing happening that is progressive, and I I travel a lot and like everywhere. I love travel everywhere, but you know to live. You know this is, know, this, the is this is a most livable place. It's you true. know, and in terms of
0: like even balance. Oh, absolutely! You know
1: like it's like New York is fun for three days and then after the fourth day you're you know (laughs) you feel stressed out you don't even know why right san francisco is beautiful again to a point but you feel the inequality Mm -hmm. you feel the extremeness of that so i i feel that energy i feel that i don't feel the same thing i feel in those places Mm -hmm. right and europe i love it um but then the it is when it come to technology still not as widely distributed and here the population so all those factor I just also also I want to give back to the city right like if if I gain so much from this I came to I went to school I live here I you know half of my life spent in Toronto why won't I want to build a company here and potentially make the city a success story too you know so that's my reasoning um other people might disagree I just think if you're great you can make Any place in the world, right? You don't need to go there to a great place where already so many great people. You're just one in a million, you know. So,
0: well, and just last thing on that too is is uh, I recently was talking to the the co-founders of uh, of Skip the Dishes at an event in Montreal, and the team were there, and we were just kind of talking about the story. They're like, dude, when we started, like our table was on a card uh, on a cardboard box, Mm -hmm. and we started in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. Like people don't know, but. You know, like, no
1: one cares. I crazy. think if your product is great, if you're adding value, people using it don't care where you come from. You know, like so. Yeah, I I won't even think about that.
0: So the lesson first, I guess, in this in this case is just build a great product mm. and grow a successful business, and mm. everything. All the other variables are just not relevant really no no right and you can't because otherwise you're going to make that as an excuse as to why you can't grow
1: yeah i agree Uh i don't think it's i don't think it should be a reason especially if you're building app or website it literally can reach anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. right so it doesn't make sense it's just wherever location you got the most connection and resources you just do it
0: okay and maybe, you know, one last question. I guess this, is, this might be uh, more geared towards the uh, female audience. But as a female entrepreneur yourself, uh, mm-hmm. Lillian, you know, being successful, I know, you know you're, still, <laughs> you're still waiting for the next speak, yeah. But, uh, no, but, <clears throat> but obviously you've, you've accomplished a lot in, 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 since 2010 when you had the idea, since 2013 when launching it. What advice would you give someone watching this right now who really wants to start but, you know, knows sometimes there, there might be hurdles along the way?
1: For women specifically, which I spoke before to many other places, it's just believing you're ready, right? I think there's a there's a difference between you you feel like you're not ready versus, I don't know, man, there's a difference between mental versus your physical capability. Mm-hmm. Like most women I met along my startup journey, they are at least 5, 10 years more working experience than all the male peers, mm-hmm. right? So by the time they start, they already have 5, 10 years at working experience. How could you not be more ready than anyone else? So it's just a psychological barrier, including myself. Like I told you, I had the idea in 2010 now from the idea moment, why would I still continue working with people two, three years more because of thinking I was not ready. Right. So there's always a gap between you actually are capable versus you believe you are capable. So that's that mental model is, is very hard. I mean, including myself like i told you i don't feel i'm successful yet maybe every one thing i am you know so that's always this interesting almost like imposter syndrome even to this date i think i'm talking to a lot of female founder we also feel that too um those but that factor is so complex it's gonna take probably 10 episodes to talk about that stuff so i think just be aware of it thinking you know i don't think i'm ready and just take a pause and thinking is it just a mental thing or you're generally capable like not capable, right? Because I tell you out there there's a lot of guys, even though they actually should not start a company, they think they're ready. Yeah. So you know it's sure. like have a little bit of that. You know, you don't have to be hundred percent feel mm-hmm. you're ready and just do it anyway.
0: Start. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So woman is overthink and underdoing, including mm-hmm. myself. I think guy very impulsive doing without thinking. Sometimes, so we need a lot of balance a bit of that balance like you know also cultural culturally traditionally society generally also create environment encouragement to be more risk ticker right. and you know just the same boys will be boys yeah, you know right. you can make mistake and no one even remember it next day right. versus women i think we are conditioned to be more conservative like not take as much risk Mm -hmm. then that unfortunately kind of over time you just you know you condition yourself well you know maybe i shouldn't do this i shouldn't do this there's a lot of more kind of self-censorship um but maybe it should be the other way around
0: and so maybe just the last one on that because i think it's super important especially for entrepreneurship when Mm -hmm. you say take risks Mm -hmm. different people take risks differently i mean at least to condition Mm -hmm. like for myself i i I try to do crazy things sometimes, mm-hmm. whether it's skydiving or mm-hmm. maybe snorkeling with whales this weekend. So mm-hmm. I, I just try to do that to kind of scare myself, right, and mm-hmm. get outside the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. What is it for you? Like, How do you condition yourself to take risks? risk?
1: Um, well, I mean, <clears throat> so for me, like, I mean, I even though I tell people to take risks, <laughs> if it's not the third time I got Leo, I probably never started this. because you know to walk away from you know a comfortable job you need a lot of justification to your friends and family right so the way i look at at that time i chose to take risk to go this path it's just worry about the thought of what if next day i got hit by the bus and i've never done it right you know the fear of what if you just
0: the regret. The of.
1: regret. you never done it, you know. So, um, or the other thought I had was, what if I wake up next day, someone else done that, my idea. Yeah. That would be the worst feeling. So those two things just kind of pushed me to do it.
0: Lily, see. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate it. Episode 24. Uh, all the social links to your social media is below in the description box. Make sure you follow Lily. Mm-hmm. She's an awesome entrepreneur. There's still a lot of success and I'm going to have you hopefully soon uh, on the podcast again. Lastly, That will be it. Thanks a lot, guys.